For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Welcome to a new year of Union Strong podcast. And right out of the gate, we're celebrating a victory for working people who write and direct in the television industry in the state of New York. Governor Cuomo has signed into law the Television Diversity Tax Credit Bill. And joining us on the phone from New York City to talk about this new law and what it means to the television industry is Lowell Peterson, the executive director of the Writers Guild of America East. Lowell, thank you for joining us on the Union Strong podcast. And congratulations on getting this bill signed into law. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to participate. And I want to throw the shout out right back at you. The uh, Mario and the entire New York State uh, AFL-CIO were deeply supportive of this legislation for years, together with the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild. So it, it, it's a, it's a definitely a movement victory. And I want to talk about, uh, you know, what this bill is about. Well, when you say that, I mean, it, it was a few years working on this. Um, you know, it took a while to get it over the the finish line, but you had quite an active campaign out there to, to get this across, right? We certainly did. And, you know, we had great lobbyists and we thank them as well, uh, Richard Winston and Larry Shearer and, and uh, a lot of uh, staff people involved and our sponsors, Senator Jackson and Assembly Member Crespo, of course, uh, get the greatest kudos. But the fact is that member engagement and member involvement in making phone calls and doing emails and signing petitions and riding the train to Albany and meeting with legislators, that really made the difference. Alana Glazer here calling to urge you to sign the television diversity bill. It is a landmark bill. That- Hi, I just wanted to post my support for the New York TV diversity tax credit bill. If you haven't heard about we it. We had an inside game. We knew who to talk to, but Having members themselves participate is really what made the difference. I think when when a member says something to a legislator or to the governor's office, when a member takes the time to pick up the phone and call the governor, that means a lot. Uh, So I think uh, a lot of our strategy has been making sure the members were front and center. Well, we saw that in this case for sure. So it's called the Television Diversity Tax Credit. Why was this law needed? What was going on in the industry or wasn't going on that led to efforts to get this bill passed? Well, you know, the industry has had a diversity problem for a lot of years. The fact is most uh, of uh, the population is not represented in the employment rosters. Uh, There are many more women and people of color who are available to write stories or direct shows than uh, are actually hired. And there's been hand-wringing about this for years. There have been high-level blue-ribbon panels. There have been you know, uh, internships, which are great, by the way, we have our own training programs. But what wasn't happening was an actual change in employment. And we came to the conclusion that the way to fix it was to put money at the point of hire. If, If a producer has an incentive to do equity and inclusion, to hire people who are historically excluded from the industry, then we have a program that will work. So, I mean, we had a tremendously non-diverse industry. Uh, the audiences are very diverse. Mm-hmm. The storytelling wasn't reflecting the actual experiences of audiences, but, you know, there was just inertia in the industry. That's not only in the entertainment industry, uh, but certainly in the entertainment industry. The, the hiring patterns didn't change. You, you hire who you know, and the people who you know are people who are just like you, so it perpetuates itself. When we needed a, a little jolt of voltage 
and put and this tax credit uh, was what we came up with. It, it sits within the the broader production tax credit that has been enormously successful mm-hmm. and has brought tens of thousands of good union jobs to the state of New York. And we thought that's a great model. Let's use it for diversity. And so we did. So can you explain the specifics of the new law? How is it going to be a little more inclusive? Americans, Jessica Jones, Power, and the Nick originate straight out of Brooklyn. And a bill now making its way through the state legislature may impact how many more series join them and how diverse they'll be behind the camera. Now, the bill deals with amending the popular made in New York tax credit. Well, so if you hire a woman or a person of color to write or direct television in New York, uh, you can apply 30% of their salary, or you can apply their salary and get a 30% tax credit. Uh, this is the way the overall production tax credit works. 30% of eligible costs uh, uh, are reimbursed in the form of tax credits. Uh, it is an enormously successful program. It has attracted so much work to New York, so many jobs, and, and we know it will work the same way in writers' rooms and and uh, for directors. So uh, there is actually money that it will be applied. Uh, it's basically a cut in your tax bill if you're a producer, if you actually do the right thing and hire women and people of color. So is New York leading the way by adding this law? Because I thought I was looking, I saw something in the news recently about Georgia. Are they trying to do something similar? There have been discussions in other states, Georgia, uh, I think, California, yes, uh, nothing enacted. New Jersey has an interesting sort of overlay that uh, New Jersey has a similar production tax credit where 30 uh, percent tax credits are applied for eligible costs. And on top of that, if you have a diversity plan in New Jersey, you get another 2 percent. New York is the first one that's this specific and this this carefully aimed at storytelling. The idea is, and this is where, where New York is leading the nation, if you diversify the storytelling, you not only make better TV, because you get reflect a lot more people's experiences and, and life stories, but you also diversify the entire industry, because it all starts with the stories. People who are writing this year and next year become producers the year after that, and they become uh, executives a year after that, and people who direct uh, will will create their own shows, and, and so it will have a... Uh, a long-term effect on uh, equity and inclusion throughout the industry. By focusing first on storytelling, we think we're going to change the whole industry. And it does feel like it's long overdue. And when you talk about um, that, the the folks who should be diverse, who are doing the writing and the directing, because look at where that's taking place in New York State and so much of it right there in New York City. Uh, You know, do you think that this is a turning point in the television industry as a result of this new law? I think so. There's certainly been plenty of consciousness raising, plenty of political conversations. So the industry was ready, but now we'll actually have an economic plan in place. Yes, I think this is going to be a turning point. I think we're going to see that the industry will reflect the city, will reflect the state. The shows will will, uh, reflect people's stories. I think the long-term health of the industry um, was at stake here. You can't continue to do things uh, in a non-diverse way and expect audiences to still care, to expect uh, taxpayers to still care. If you want to actually have a long-term future in the entertainment industry, you have to take action. And I think we've done that now. And I think this is going to benefit everybody. I know 
all of our members, I shouldn't say all, we put six writers together in a room, you get eight different opinions. But, you know, our members are strongly supportive of this because they recognize that their own employment, their own opportunities to grow their careers, their own opportunities for the industry to stay healthy are at stake here. And so this, although it's, a, it's aimed at women and people of color, we think the entire industry and the people who work in the entire industry will all benefit from it. Now, if I understand it correctly, before it actually kicks in, the, the money commitment part, the, the, that actual tax break, there first has to be a study. And um, what will this study look at and what do you think that it will find? Yeah, the study was uh, will be funded by the state. It, we hope it will be set up and completed this year. The 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 goal is to identify the percentage of of available writers and directors, people who could do this kind of work. You look at film schools and film festivals. You look at uh, theater. You look at people who have experience directing shorts or writing shorts, short movies, and you say, okay, if we'll take a look at that universe of people, and you say there's 50% of them are female, say, and 30% of them are people of color. And then you compare that with the actual hiring patterns, where in fact, at this point, they're much lower than that. You know, it's maybe 30% of TV writers are, are women, uh, maybe 10% of TV writers are people of color. I'm, uh, you know, it varies from year to year. So if you see that disparity, then you say, okay, the tax credit goes into effect. I mean, we know that this disparity exists. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows this disparity exists. People are concerned about it. Uh, so when that study proves what we all anticipate it will prove, then the tax credit kicks in. So presumably that will be first thing next year. So you're saying, I think you said, there are enough women and people of color available to fill this void, but it's just a matter of whether they can break through or take advantage or get that opportunity, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, we have programs and events here at the Writers Guild of both our members and potential members, people who have done projects that are really interesting. Maybe they've created a whole webisode on their own, or maybe they've submitted scripts to our training program. And, and if you look around those rooms, they're a lot more diverse than if you look around the industry as a whole. There's an enormous amount of talent. In fact, a couple of years ago, we did a, uh, an intensive study, uh, a survey of our members, and we said, look, we all know there's a diversity problem. Do you think it's a lack of talent or a lack of opportunity? And overwhelmingly, our members said, no, there's plenty of talent. It's just a lack of opportunity. Hmm. Well, that's what I was wondering then. So it's not really, well, it probably will generate more interest among a more diverse group of writers, right, to get into the field. But now it, it's going to be competitive then, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the city of New York has funded a uh, a mentorship program with the Writers Guild of America East for a few years now. And uh, the goal is to, to get uh, more diverse talent pool uh, going. And we get hundreds of scripts submitted. And man, they're really good. And these are folks who really should have a crack at, at building careers in TV. And we, we help them polish their scripts. We give them one-on-one -on -one mentorship with experienced showrunners. We uh, do skills training. But, you know, these are folks who are ready to build careers. They are, they are eager. They are, uh, there are many folks ready to do it. It's just a question of uh, bringing them to the attention of the producers that do the hiring and making sure they have an opportunity to get through that door. Yeah, again, when you have, 
when you don't have a, a systematized way of hiring and recruiting people, you just tend to perpetuate the current situation. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know that I would say it's there's evil in in the entertainment industry. We have to fight the evil. There's inertia in the industry. Mm-hmm. This will overcome that inertia, and there, people will be, be able to build careers. And so you do feel like it's going to change storytelling. It's going to change what are the um, options that we have in selecting what we're going to watch. Yeah, TV will get even better. It's pretty good right now, but uh, it will be it will be even more reflective of people's actual experience. When you if you're in New York and you turn on the TV, it's going to reflect your life, mm-hmm. the folks you see on the subway, the folks you see uh, picking apples upstate more than uh it maybe does now. Uh, again, the industry is committed to it. They just needed this this actual commitment, this economic commitment. Well, that's great. And then with all these different streaming services and the way, you know, our TV watching habits today, people, uh, you know, binging on series, we're always looking for that new content, right? So uh, this will definitely help, I would think, to fill that gap. Oh, yeah. There'll be a lot of good stuff to watch, um, no matter what your interests and and another thing we hear from speaking with our members is it, it isn't necessarily one-to-one. You know, if you have three more black writers in a show, you'll get a better, you know, this or that. It's the, the depth of experience that you get from having more diverse writing staffs is really important for the quality for everyone. When, when, when there are multiple points of view, lots of different backgrounds, mm-hmm. lots of different experiences reflected, TV's just going to get better. The, the storylines will be diverse and maybe even more importantly, uh, It'll be more like real life, more like what people's lived experience is. It's going to be good. Okay, good. So we've been talking about the television industry, but the Writers Guild represents workers in several other industries. Can you tell us a little bit about who your members are? Yes, the Writers Guild of America East represents TV writers, movie writers, uh, uh, if you will, Netflix writers, the uh, folks who write those great shows that you can get uh, from Amazon Prime or Hulu Plus or Netflix. We represent news writers, mm-hmm. both radio and television, and we also represent news writers and and editors and etc. in digital news. You know, the on the whole online world, like HuffPost or Vice or Vox, uh, those are all uh, uh, folks who have actually joined our union recently. We've we are actively organizing in digital news. We've grown in television. Uh, we are organizing in reality TV, and we're even organizing in podcasting. Both the nonfiction podcasts that people love and increasingly scripted podcasts, dramas that you can download and listen on the subway or in the car. And you, and that's an interesting concept if you think about it, right? Because uh, maybe it was when my grandparents were sitting around, that's how they, that was their entertainment, is listening to those dramas and things on the radio. And so how, now we find ourselves kind of going back to that when people have their time either on their commute or that's kind of the option they choose. Yeah, it's great. There's so many opportunities. It's a very different way of writing. We've spent a lot of time in talking to people who write these uh, dramas and comedies for, for the ear, and it's a different kind of thing, but a lot of Writers Guild members want to get into it. And sometimes what you find is a scripted podcast winds up being a TV show. So these industries are very closely linked, uh, just as we've had digital news writers wind up in comedy variety or what have you. There's a uh, the, the the thirst for writing stories and, and honing the craft of writing compelling narratives cuts across all of these genres. Can you give us an example of a scripted podcast that started out as that, that turned into TV? Yeah, Homecoming is probably the, the most visible example. It started as a really innovative uh, 
uh, podcast for the year, and then it was picked up, uh, and Julie Roberts was the was the lead in the in the television show. You were employed at the Homecoming Transitional Support Center. How do you feel? Happy. And it became even more popular once it hit the screen. Uh, different approaches to the drama, but both really compelling and really successful. That's great. So finally, uh, what are some of the issues the Writers Guild of America is focused on for 2020 and into the next decade, this new decade? Well, we are an organizing union, so we will continue to do our organizing. Uh, we've expanded by almost 50% uh, in the past five, six years because of our intensive organizing. We'll continue to organize in digital news and nonfiction TV uh, and podcasting. Uh, the, the, the rise of streaming video on demand, which is the Netflixes of the world, is mm -hmm. definitely changing the way all of our members work. It's, so we have to rethink our collective bargaining agreements and make sure that they reflect how people are working now and how people are going to get paid in the future. So we're paying a lot of attention to SVOD, and we're paying even more attention to organizing the unorganized, because the one thing we know about every industry is that it, it changes, and technology is changing the entertainment and news industries at an enormous clip. So uh, we are changing our union to keep pace with it. Well, that sounds great. To have that kind of an increase really says something. People want to have a voice, and, and you guys are providing that voice, so that's terrific. Uh, Lowell Peterson, yep. we appreciate you taking the time, and, and I'm sorry, did you want to make another point? No, I, I would like to say that we are finding a, an enormous amount of eagerness out there, uh, there are young writers, young editors, young producers, young storytellers who are eager to join the labor movement. It's just a question of listening to what their real concerns are, making sure they're engaged in the process, and, and we can make real gains. The thing that our membership growth proves is that collective bargaining really works. It's not an abstract idea. It's not an outmoded idea. It's vital. It's important, and people are, e are very eager for it. Well, Lowell Peterson, the executive director of the Writers Guild of America East, thank you very much uh, for taking the time, and congratulations on getting that TV diversity bill across the finish line. Thank you, and thank you again to the State Fed for all its support. Joining me on the podcast is Kevin Eitzman, our digital director. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. So we took a little bit of a break. Yep. Um, but it gave people a chance. Uh, we were watching some of the numbers uh, to catch up on some of the podcasts, and you you saw something that really stuck out to you, and that what people are listening to. Yeah. So the the one podcast that that really has taken off like a like a rocket ship has been the gig economy podcast. Uh, we know it's hot right now in the legislation. Uh, you know, it's coming out, and the the new season has started, and so it jumped uh, to the number one most downloaded episode. Uh, and people are still paying attention to it because it is uh, relevant to what's mm -hmm. happening right Topical, now. Sure. And then uh, uh, the second biggest one was Scabby the Rat. That, uh, yeah, that was a fun one. It's a fun one, and it's an ongoing issue that mm -hmm. hasn't been settled yet. So if you want uh, to check out that episode, go back in, listen to a couple of those episodes. They're really good. I think we're on, this is maybe uh, episode 27 uh, we're doing here now. So we want to encourage people to go back and see some of those other podcasts. And, Seems like yesterday, but yeah, we're does. episode 27. And so we're rolling into the uh, new year, and we've got the legislative session uh, getting underway. Uh, we've got a couple other podcasts um, that we're going to be rolling out for you, including some victories with the call center bill yeah. and the elevator safety bill. Yeah. So some of those coming up and then we'll be talking to Mario, I'm sure, and maybe our legislative director, Mike Neidel, about uh, some of our legislative priorities. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've had a lot of good victories that, that came through at the end of the year that we're going to review. And then we'll have lots of stuff for you guys out there to participate in and help get over the finish line this year. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary-treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.